I'm turning today to this sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I have verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I turn to the book of Deuteronomy because it had in it these references, which I knew were there, to the fatherless children, little ones, without mother or father. We call them orphans. I also turn to the book of Deuteronomy because it was under special attack this month in the Sunday School Literature of the United Presbyterian Church, where they're stating it, have been stating it, Moses, telling us that Moses couldn't have written this book, telling us that these Old Testament stories of the ark and Noah were just nice, good myths which have some sort of a lesson in them that you can get from it, but that's about all it is. And as I flew back from uh, our visit to Korea and we crossed the Pacific, I sat down in the rear end of the airplane and I read this whole book at one sitting. We just went right through it. Tremendous impact of this book of Deuteronomy. Actually, our Savior quotes more from Deuteronomy than any other book in the Old Testament. It's a powerful prophecy. And it's in this book, as you have seen already, that Moses says, The Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet like unto me, and unto him shalt thou hearken. A beautiful transition here between Sinai, which was on fire, and where the Lord spoke in the thunder, and the people said, We don't want to hear that kind of a voice. We can't stand it. And Moses said, Well, you have well said, The Lord is going to put his voice in human flesh. He'll no longer thunder from Sinai and give you fire. He'll send you his only begotten son. And when he comes, and he'll be like unto me, and the Lord will put his word in his mouth, and you'll get the word of God from the mouth of the Son of Man. Now Moses tells us all that in the 18th chapter. And Moses has brought the children of Israel out of bondage, out of all this slavery in Egypt, tremendous demonstration of power, when with a high hand God delivered them and taking them out of Egypt across the Red Sea, dividing the waters, and then Pharaoh's host were buried in the flood. And then God led them into the wilderness and to Sinai, and at Kadesh Barnea they lacked the faith, and he turned them back to die after 40 years of wandering. But he fed them. He gave them manna from the skies and gave them quails that came in on the winds. And God looked after these children of Israel because he'd chosen them to be his own. And now Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is laying down before them the statutes and the commandments. 
And he's given unto them this great glorious witness to the Savior who will deliver them and give them salvation. Now I pointed out to you that our Savior quoted this great text, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of the Lord, and that means the words that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. We shall live by these words. But now Moses proceeds and says that these things are to be in their hearts, and I gave you a whole message on the heart, the heart, the heart. The commandments are to be in their hearts. Their hearts are to be tested and sifted. And they're to beware of snares that would lead them away from these great things that God has done for them and given to them in the Savior. Now, beloved, we want to turn to another activity, another emphasis, another sphere that Moses was talking about. And he says, you mustn't forget your little one. You mustn't forget the generation that's going to follow you. You people in the wilderness, as you wander and as you walk, you're going to die here. Your carcasses are going to be with the dust of this wilderness. But these little ones, these little ones, they're going to go in and take possession of that land. And if they're going to live in that land, you're going to have to do certain things to them and for them while you have them with you in the wilderness. First, you're going to have to remember what God did for you in Egypt and communicate that to the little ones that are going to go into the land after your, your carcasses have fallen in this dry desert. And second, you're to communicate to them the commandments, the teachings that Moses says, I've delivered to you from the Lord. All of the past is to be brought to them so that they'll have the benefit of the experience and the travail of their fathers. And then all the standards of the present which relate to the ongoing testimony and the work of the Lord, you must communicate it to them. And sometimes I think the most difficult job that you and I have to do is to communicate to our children and our grandchildren the benefit of our own experience. It is the most difficult thing that we have to do in carrying on this ministry. Now with that text before us, I want you to notice what Moses said. Moses leaves this thing not in some nebulous state. He says, Thou shalt teach thy children diligently. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And then he goes a step further and he says, And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, the most important thing that you can deal with and talk about in relationship to your children, Moses said, is what I have delivered to you from the Lord. That is the most important subject of your conversation and of your concern to those who are to follow you. He says, Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. 
You've got to have some discipline. You've got to have some order. You've got to have something, some plan in your home, in your house, in your relationship to your children that you can diligently, faithfully give to these children these great standards that Moses has delivered unto the children of Israel. And beloved, it's right here in the home that we are breaking down. The home will blame the church and the church will blame the home. I know you have that dualism back and forth and every time you start talking and get specific, well then they say, well the church should have done this and, and you get into some sort of a debate that's not very profitable. But the emphasis that this particular point is, and Moses saying that God gave you your own flesh and blood, and it's your responsibility under God to see that your own flesh and blood is diligently instructed in the things of God. Our whole concept of education in this country has been built originally upon the idea that the, the individual family, the mother and father, were responsible for their education. That's shifting somewhat today, and now the federal government's getting in to be responsible for the matter. But, beloved, the responsibility of teaching your children for the character of your children, for the faith of your children, is the responsibility of the mother and the father into whose hands God has pressed, has put that precious little life. Now, I've thought of this, of course, in connection with our orphans in Korea. And when we were out there, and Mr. Stormer and I went around and we went to our little orphanages. One of the first things I said, I said, now how are you handling the religious instruction? And they told me about the order of the program each day and how they get up with their prayers and how they read their Bibles and how they have their charts and how they have their devotional services. And then when they go to bed at night, the last thing they do and how they're taught to say their prayers and how they have the little services on Sunday. I went into that whole thing and I said, the main thing that we're giving you this money to train and to raise these children for is that they may come out of this orphanage a child of God. They may come out of this orphanage established in the word of God so that will stay with them the rest of their lives. And in every instance, the couple in charge or the lady in charge say, Dr. McIntyre, that's our main purpose. That's our main purpose. That's what we're here for. Who wants to bother about worrying with all these little children? I want to tell you, beloved, it is a job to handle a crowd of little children. It's not an easy task to take care of. And when you get them together in a whole crowd of them, 60 of them or 90 of them or 125 of them, and you get them in one great household and they're all together, they eat and they go out here and they have the rice bowls and they have the order, it's not an easy job to do it. And I can see how anybody would throw up their hands and say, I'm not going to waste my time. I don't have any of my energy and strength to give into that sort of work. But, beloved, when you talk to these young couples and this man and his wife and you talk to this lady and this dear lady lost her husband and she started an orphanage and we've come in to help and you see the smile on her face and she says, Oh, Dr. McIntyre, we're giving to these children the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, as I looked at Korea, I thought it might be well if we took all the children in Collingswood and put them in orphanages, we might get along better. We might even do a better job if we, some of you dear people, just let your children run like they want to run. You let them go to wherever they want to go. You let them do whatever they want to please. 
and they go out to fulfill the lust of their eyes and the lust of their flesh, and then something happens to one of them along the way, and then you say, oh, isn't that a tragedy? And Moses is saying to the children of Israel here, you diligently, you diligently take these things and instruct your children. We need family altars. We need family prayers. We need mothers and fathers who will say, well, I'm working and father's working. We've got to adjust our problems. We have many problems pressing in upon us. But the first thing we've got to do is to see that our children, to see that our young people are established in our home in the things of God and that we are indeed a Christian home. Now, that's what Moses is talking about. Now, this brings me to a very important subject in this area. Abroad, generally in the world today, is the idea that every generation must find out for itself. Abroad, generally in the world today, that every generation has to find the truth that's applicable for its needs and its social problems at its particular time. And these ideas are being preached in the churches and in the schools. And they are based upon a very false assumption. Beloved, the standard which Moses has given us here is built upon the understanding that God doesn't change. God's law doesn't change. Sin isn't redefined by each generation. It always will be the transgression of the law of God. It'll never be anything else than the transgression of the law of God. And this idea that each generation has to go out and find out of their own experience the things that they need for their generation is just one of the good popular lies that the old devil is circulating around so you can tear your young people loose and separate them from the eternal standards of the word and of the law and of the living God. And Moses is telling us that what I've given you from Sinai and what's going to come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ when he comes? And he's a prophet that will be raised up unto thee like unto me. That when he comes, ye shall hearken unto him. And ye shall be held accountable from the words that come from the mouth of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And beloved Moses was absolutely right. There's no changing of sin. There's no changing of death. There's no changing of judgment. There's no changing of eternity. There's no changing of Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can teach this little one in your home of the living God. And you can teach this little one to pray to God. And you can teach these young people these things from the word of God. And they will abide with them as long as they live. And then as they get old enough... And as they come into years of responsibility and accountability and they set up their own homes, then they have the same stewardship and the same responsibility and the same obligation before God that you and I had during our sojourn. Moses is saying, and turn back to that great text, and he says, Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. 
course, the trouble with a lot of you people is you never sit in your houses anymore. Nobody bothers to sit there. We run in, grab a snack, and out we go. Nobody's there to do any sitting. We don't have any sitting rooms anymore. Look at this thing. When thou sittest in thine house. Do you know one of the old-fashioned ways? Of course, maybe you don't want to do it today. But you know, when I was a boy, we had Sunday dinner. We'd go home from church. And one of the first questions, we'd sit down to eat, get going. One of the first questions would come, what was the text today? And I got to where I was always sure I at least remembered the text. Uh, what were the three points of the preacher's sermon? Can you remember? Uh, do you know any illustrations the preacher used? Yes, but I didn't like that one. Do you children, do you young people ever get questioned about what I preach on? Do you really? Well, that's good. I hope you can tell them. Do you know what I'm preaching on this morning, son? Do you know what chapter I'm preaching on in Deuteronomy this morning? You think you do? Oh, my goodness, I better take it. Maybe I better give you some instruction. You know what I'm talking about, son? You know, I'm talking about you. Yeah, I've been talking about you. I'm talking about how your mother and father ought to treat you. I'm talking about how they ought to teach you something. Maybe I better ask, well, I won't do that. Come down about as far as I can go on that subject. But notice what he says here. Will you turn to Deuteronomy in your Bible? Get your Bible. How many of you got your Bible? Let's see your Bible. Now, don't hold up a hymn book. <laughs> you got your Bibles? Over here, got your Bibles? You got your Bibles? Where's your Bible, honey? No, oh, that's a hymn book. All right, most of them have their Bibles. How many of you people in church this morning have your Bibles? Let's see your hand. Put them on. Isn't that excellent? That's very, very good. I saw a few of you that ought to have them. Now, notice what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know, if you do that, you won't have time for any of the filth of the world to talk about. If you're occupied with doing these things that Moses is saying, and young people, you boys and girls in this choir, the pastor of your church tells you this morning that the greatest thing you can do is to read this book, understand this book, believe this book, and seek to honor the teachings of this book. It's the greatest thing you can do from now until you die. It's the greatest thing you can do. And the greatest thing that any home can do, that any couple that's married can do, is to say that Jesus will be the head of our home. And we're going to take his word into our home. And this word will be the law and the life of our relationships to each other. This is the word of God. And there's no problem that we are facing today in the struggles of life that we can't find the answer to it from the Word of God. It's in the Bible. It's in the Holy Scriptures for us.
My, oh my, how the pulpits are failing us. How we're breaking down in these things and how these young people have gotten the idea that for our day we've got to have some kind of a new solution, a new understanding, and we can get it outside the scriptures. Beloved, Moses said, you go and tell them and you give it to them. And now you turn over to the eighth chapter, which we read for our scripture lesson. And notice how he puts this in verse chapter eight, verse one, he says, all the commandments that I commanded thee this day shall ye observe to do. That ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord thy God swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember, do and remember, do and remember, do and remember. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years to humble thee. And then verse 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Then come down to verse 11. Beware that thou forgettest not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Beware, beware, beware. Don't you leave. Don't you depart. Don't you go away. Don't you trifle with these things. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou, thou do what? Praise the Lord? No, you forget. The Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. And the church people in America in their affluence and in their wealth and in their comforts are forgetting the Lord their God and the God of Moses. You have to go out to Korea. Ladies and gentlemen, I was there in Korea. In a little hotel there. 4.30 in the morning, the church bells began to ring. 4.30 in the morning, I heard them ring. And I opened the window and looked down here, men on bicycles. There are people in the streets, 4.30, dark as it could be. Where were they going? Over to the churches for prayer. And it's been the practice in Korea. Of course, in the churches in Korea, they don't sit in pews. They sit on the floor without anything on it, just an empty floor. And the women are on one side and the men are on the other side. They have real segregation over there. But, beloved, I want to tell you that at 4.30 in the morning, They go over to the house of God and there they pray to God. And out of their poverty and in the the lack of resources which they have, they have a blessed book which they carry and which they know and which they believe. And if I bring a delegation of these church people over here from Korea and put them over on this one side and take a delegation out of my church and put them over on this side and put the Bible up in the middle and start asking questions, I'm afraid you folks would come out on the little end of the question period. They know this book. They've lived with this book in poverty. They've lived with this book when the communists overrun their country and came clear on down almost to Pusan. They saw the communists come in, and at one time the communists killed 500 of the preachers in their churches. You imagine any of your preachers killed yet? We've had three men thrown in jail in Ireland, that's all. 
But they lived in that darkness. They lived under that slavery. They lived in those hours. And the only thing they had to help them and comfort them was the word of God. The word of God. And Moses said, you children of Israel, you go in there and you'll build houses and you'll get fat and you'll enjoy the vines and oh, you'll prosper. And when that day comes, you'll forget the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he says, beware, lest that happen to you. Beware, lest that condition come upon you. And now you'll turn back and then God says here in this eighth chapter, oh, what a beautiful statement it is. As you come down a little further in this eighth chapter, where in verse 18 he says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Beloved, the covenant which God has made with our fathers is a righteous and an abiding and an eternal covenant. And it doesn't change with the 10th, 20th century. It didn't change with the 16th century. It's the covenant of our gracious God with his son that he would bring us unto himself by his mysterious grace, mysterious grace. And beloved, this covenant and this gospel and this message doesn't change. <clears throat> this past week, I was down at the General Assembly of the National Council of Churches. We were down there to report it, and then, of course, our American Council arranged for this great protest meeting Tuesday night against the Vice President of the United States coming to speak to the National Council of Churches. But there was an incident that took place which has been given very wide publicity in the press which involved your pastor. And the <clears throat> papers here carried it. At least they carried a portion of it. And they certainly didn't give the accurate report. But <clears throat> it all developed over this very thing, this very thought. The National Council called a press conference on evangelism. And they had their chairman who's in charge of these things, Dr. Colin Williams, and then of all men, Harvey Cox of the Secular City. And when I heard it, I said, well, that's one press conference I'd like to sit in on. They had a great big press room in the front of the press room. They set up some chairs. <clears throat> and when I got there, there was only a chair on the back seat, and so I sat down on the back seat and listened. And I heard Mr. Colin Williams tell us that we had to have a new evangelism for our new day. And that the old evangelism was out of date. He called it the 18th century evangelism. Well, I listened. <clears throat> and his idea was that the new evangelism had to change the attitude of people on social questions in relationship to open housing relationship to apartheid, relationship to these various social questions. And as we got down to the end of the press conference and the chairman said, some of you men have deadlines to meet, so go ahead. There was a lady there. She said, I want to ask you another question. So she got up and walked up to the front where he was. So I went along. I just walked up there and others walked around. This lady asked her question and as soon as she finished, <coughs> I said, oh, my name is McIntyre, I'd like to ask a question. 
And I says, this question of the new birth, you must be born again. I says, how does that carry over from the individual regeneration over into this social sphere, the social regeneration? And that gentleman then turned and attacked me. It just came all over me. Stood right up where he actually got his saliva in my face. And he said, I needed to be born again in my attitude toward these social problems. I needed to be born again in my attitude toward the National Council of Churches. And we went on, and that exchange now has become very famous. Because when we got down to the end of the exchange, and I asked the question about how this related to the matter of God, he finally came out and he said, I'd say our gods are very different. In which, of course, we fully agree. Whatever God he may have is entirely different from the one that I'm preaching. And that all came out, and I did not know that Dr. Donald Waite was taping this, but he was. He had taped the entire press conference, just stood there and had his little microphone up. And so when it was finished, however, when Dr. Williams turned away, somebody came and got him and took him away. Then somebody said, oh, this has been recorded. And then they had a tremendous hassle over the recording, and so Dr. Waite said, all right, I'll play it for you. It's about five minutes, and he played it for everybody. And the National Council men said they want a copy, so he went up to their recording room, gave them a copy of it. And uh, they demanded that he turn his copy over to them. He said he wouldn't do it. And I'm very thankful that he did not do it, because the press reports that went out didn't quote what I said accurately at all. And we're in a position now to straighten the matter out. Well, that night when Dr. Waite went back, he did, they took away his press credentials. Said he couldn't be in the press room. And it was alleged that he had taped a private conversation or bugged what they'd call bugging a private telephone. And that was quoted in the press. Well, of course, he'd done nothing of the kind. We were all there, 15 or 20 reporters, and it was a public affair. But that's the story they, they put out about it. Well, that Tuesday night, I got up in the great rally with some 800 people, and I read the whole exchange, and we gave 2,000 copies of the whole thing away to everybody. And so when we went back over there, he went back over there, they gave him back his press credentials. They gave it back to him. And then Dr. Waite went out in our demonstration that we had on Wednesday night before the vice president as he came in there. He's carrying a sign, I believe, in freedom of the press, which was an excellent sign. And so for that sign, he really did get thrown out of the press. They didn't want him back anymore. But the exchange brought out a number of very important things. And the first thing, the most important thing, was this question of the new birth. Beloved, there is no new evangelism. There never will be a new evangelism. The only evangelism that we have or that anybody knows anything about or the Bible will ever know anything about is an evangelism which preaches the blood of Christ. And you are made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that miraculous change takes place inside of you and not with some social legislation. There is only one way in which any sinner can ever have his sins forgiven. He must be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross. You'll be born again if you believe that. 
And Moses is saying, beloved, our churches aren't to preach a new evangelism. Our churches aren't to engage in some sort of new philosophy for the new day. Our churches are to preach the message of the cross, only the message of Christ crucified. And everything we do is to the end that men will come to Christ and be saved and then go out to be living witnesses to this blessed message of regeneration and of salvation. That is it. But I was so interested finally when this great leader of the National Council of Churches openly said, I'd say our gods are very different. Look at Deuteronomy, will you please? Turn to this eighth chapter. And in verse 18, Moses says, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto our fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall utterly perish. And beloved, the other gods that we deal with today aren't some idols that somebody carts in from a wagon and puts it up here on the platform for us. The other gods that we're dealing with today are these gods of the apostasy, these gods of a world church, these gods that man have erected in their thinking and they brought them into the house of God. These gods which would make out of the church some sort of a great revolutionary instrument to get out here and reorder society according to the dreams of these men. Oh, beloved, Moses is saying unto us that we're to listen to his commandments, we're to give them to the children, we're to talk about them when we sit at the tables, we're to write them on the walls, we're to testify on every hand. And, beloved, everything that you and I do in the service of Jesus Christ is to bear testimony to his truth and to his law and to his word and to his cleansing blood. And that's all. They elected a president down there for the next three years, Dr. Fleming of the University of Oregon. And Fleming came out with a tremendous appeal that we should now teach religion in our schools. He says you can learn of economics and you can learn of history and can learn of mathematics, but we don't learn of religion. And then he quotes some of the side remarks that were in one of the decisions, one of the opinions by the Supreme Court on this prayer and Bible reading, in which Tom Clark, Justice Clark, stated that it might be possible in the field of education to teach religion and to teach uh, the Bible in the fields of literature and the like. Now, we've begun to have a problem with that. We all see it. We've had a court case out in the state of Washington where two of our men went in. And they challenged this very thing in the University of Washington. And in the name of teaching literature, they brought in the Bible, and then they brought in the historical setting in which these passages were supposed to have been developed, and they give the whole 
modernist, higher critical reordering of the scripture and they throw Moses out and they throw Daniel out and they throw David out and they bring it all down and they teach that in the schools and when you get through with it, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about and our poor Savior was just a plain ignoramus of his day. That's all with some good ideas. And now, Dr. Fleming says, the biggest hindrance to this teaching about religion is the lack of qualified teachers and materials, Dr. Fleming noted. And so now, who's going to bring in the materials and who's going to provide the qualified teachers? And then we're going to come in to pay our tax monies and the National Council of Churches is reaching in now and they're going to say, this is a marvelous thing. So we'll pay our teachers and we'll bring them in and we'll teach about religion and we'll teach uh, uh, about the history of the origin of the Bible. And when they teach it, it'll be the whole modernist attack upon our faith in the public schools. And we're going to have to start opposing that and exposing that and resisting it in every school board all over the country. We're in for that sort of treatment now at the hands of the National Council of Churches. Oh, you parents, you grandparents, Moses is saying, you take what I have delivered unto you and you teach it unto your children diligently. And don't you neglect it. And one thing I rejoice in, and it has been a great joy and a delight, is in our own Bible school in the summertime, our own teaching here with our young people. And I thank God, oh, how I thank God for you parents who come here and bring your children with you, and they sit right with you in the pews, and that's where they ought to sit if they're not here in the choirs of the church. And if you people would bring your children with you, don't send them, don't tell them to come. Go and bring them to the house of God and when the doors are open, come in and listen to some preacher who will give you the word of God and then go home and test what he says by the word of God. And God will then use that in the life of your child. Beloved, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I have tremendous confidence in the miraculous supernatural power of the message of this book. You can go down the street and tell everybody that your house is on fire and call the fire department and you'll do it. But that's as far as the message goes. But you go down the street and you tell some sinner that he's dying in his sins and only the blood of Christ can save him. The Holy Spirit takes that message of the blood of Christ. It goes into his ears. It comes down to his heart. It regenerates him. It makes a new man and a new creature out of him. And the word of God can do what no other proclamation or announcement on the face of this earth can do. This word has power. And if you will teach it diligently, if you'll talk about it when you sit down, if you'll put it on the door post, if your whole life and all that you're doing centers around the divine supernatural revelation and the intervention of the eternal into time and the coming of the Son of God as a virgin-born Son of Man into this world to save us, we are supernatural. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming to raise the dead. All right, if we believe these things, let's teach them. Let's take them into the lives of our families, the lives of our children.
Let's take them there. And then let the Spirit of God do the work. You understand what my subject is today, young lady? I'm going to ask your mother, when she gets you home, to ask you today what I preached about. I'm going to make a little test. Check out some of these things. Oh, beloved Moses. You take care of the fatherless, yes. But he not only told us to take care of the fatherless, he told the fathers to take care of the children. He not only told us to look after the little orphans, we have a responsibility for them. And God's showing us our responsibility in these areas, thank God. But he said, you do what I've told you. And you remember what God did in Egypt and in delivering you. And beware, beware, lest you get your house full of nice televisions and you get your house full of nice comfortable things and you get your house full of everything that's nice and you're nice and affluent and you've got money in the bank and you've got a nice house and a nice home. We've got a nice car. In fact, we've got two cars now. We've got three cars now and we're just getting all the nicest things you ever saw. And beware! When these days come that you turn away from the Lord your God. And that you turn away from the commandments that God has revealed unto us. And given unto us. That we might know the Lord and we might serve him. And beloved, what will become of this generation that follows us? Old Dr. T.T. Shields, I'll never forget him. Of course, he's gone on. But he and I traveled around the world together the first time in 1949, 1950. Ms. McIntyre was with us. And I never shall get that dear man. He kept saying, I wonder who's going to stand in my pulpit when I'm gone. Who will there be that will rise up to stand in my pulpit? Well, thank God there's a man standing in his pulpit today who's a great preacher of the word. But Dr. Shields used to quote that old word from Solomon. Who knoweth whether a knave or a fool shall follow me. Who knows whether a knave or a fool shall follow me. And beloved, let's take what Moses said and let's carry it out. Or there won't be any Bible Presbyterian church. There won't be any separated movement. It just won't be. Unless we do what Moses said. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord our God we thank thee for this blessed message. And we thank thee for all that thou hast done for us. And we pray that this message may reach into the hearts of the families of our church. And to all of us. For Christ's sake. Amen. Hymn number 174, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.